Hey everybody, welcome back to Freecast. My name is Rob Murray. I am your host. Freecast is brought to you by the Free Press Media and is recorded at the KMSU studios on the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Uh, today's guest is Melissa Ketchum. She's a fashion designer, event planner, and an advocate for sobriety and for taking care of your mental health. Uh, we featured Melissa a year ago or so in Mankato Magazine, where she sort of touched on her sobriety and the the car crash after the Kiss concert that started it all. Um, and I sort of knew at that time that if the opportunity ever presented itself, I would love to dive deeper with her into that story and find out more about uh, Melissa. Uh, well, Freepcast is that opportunity. And Melissa was very candid about her life uh, and everything that has brought her to where she is today. And, and I think you're going to like the interview. Um, uh, finally, before we get to Melissa, I just wanted to say uh, it would be cool if some of you gave us a review on iTunes. Uh, it'd be great to hear what you guys think about the show or hear any ideas or feedback that you might have. That's always helpful. Um, and it'd be super cool if you just go ahead and give us five stars, if you don't mind. Uh, just kidding. Uh, give us whatever think you think we should have. Um, it would just be good to get some feedback. So, uh, okay, there we go. Let's get to the show. So, hello. Welcome, Melissa Ketchum. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Nice job getting lost, getting over here. Yeah, I was very confused. This campus gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's okay. It happens to a lot of people. Um, but you did miss out on the free parking behind the building that you could oh, made man. use of. So anyway, um, first met Melissa a couple of years ago when the Free Press did a, a piece on a new organization that was launched to give um, artists some real-world advice and tips to um, go from being fledgling artists to artists making money, correct? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that when we met, back when you launched uh, Movers and Shakers? Yes, we I We spoke so. at the Cambria offices in the mall. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a, a little while later, uh, we ran a piece in Mankato Magazine um, written by the, the great Diana Rojo Garcia. Shout out to Diana. Um, mm -hmm. And you shared a lot of really personal and really important stuff with, with her. We're going we're gonna to get to that in a minute. Um, and actually, that was the reason why I asked you to come on the show. I think you have a really important uh, story that a lot of folks can benefit mm -hmm. from. So um, I wanted to talk to you about that. But before we get into the kind of the heavier stuff, um, I wanted to give listeners some context about who you are. So um, you just handed me the probably the thickest business card I've ever I've ever <laughs> seen here. It's like a metal sheet here. Um, for a new business you have called Huxley and Murr Event Company. Mm-hmm. So yes. talk to me a little bit about about that and what it is and why, why you're doing this now instead of uh, what you did before, which I believe you were a, an, an artist, a fashion designer. Yes, exactly. So um, actually, it was all very intertwined um, from the start, really. When I was going to uh, design school in Colorado, there were a lot of events that I had the opportunity to um, participate in. Uh, essentially as a volunteer or, uh, you know, an event coordinator. And um, I just really found that I loved producing events and bringing people together. And I love celebration. And it was just a fun and different way to be creative. And so this was, you know, 
like a decade ago. This was forever ago when I kind of sparked that love for event planning within myself. And, um, you know, just recently, actually on Earth Day of this year, I decided to launch this new business um, venture. And so Huxley and Murr is an event planning company. Um, we we supply event planning services for um, people, and we also create various events um, with the idea to create space for people to um, discover themselves for personal and professional and spiritual development and growth, um, and really just to share their stories. So um, it's providing that safe space. Uh, and then I also kind of, you know, I'm very passionate about the environment. So I kind of tagged on um, an eco-friendly aspect of it as well. So we offer um, green services for your event to kind of reduce waste. And Can you explain what that, what that might be or how that might play out? Yeah, so event? events produce a ton of waste. Um, and I just thought that it would be a great way to kind of show people that every little bit counts. So rather than using plastic everything, you know, we, we provide um, glass or metal for certain decor or um, centerpieces. Uh, I'm trying to think like plates, um, things like that. We find different creative solutions that are more eco-conscious. So have you done any of those yet? I've kind of I've done a few events, quite a few um, under Huxley and Murr. And, you know, it is difficult to do a full blown like eco conscious themed event. But um, I have found that I have been able to incorporate some of those philosophies into the events that I've planned. So. You're confident, though, that this is the this is the market niche that you can that is going to be in demand. I feel that it's more so something that I'm passionate about. It, okay. it reflects my personal mission. I don't, um, you know, there are organizations and groups within Mankato that do reflect that same mission. Um, there are a few of them, um, and I believe that they will continue to grow. So, all right. Um, so you uh, used to be a fashion designer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that, about that career, and why it's no longer what you want to be doing. So um, fashion design has been something that I've always been interested in, um, among many other things, of course. Uh, but really, since I was in fourth grade, I was like, I want to be a fashion designer. That was my big goal, my big life goal then. And as I grew up, I only, um, you know, had more of a desire to follow that path. And um, I don't know. I just I, I've always loved how people can express themselves create creatively through what they wear, and um, I think that clothing is a very intimate way of expressing who who you really are. Um, so, you know, I went to school at the Art Institute of Colorado for fashion design. I received my degree, um, and I did a little bit of you know, costume designing, and um, I did a few commissions for people. And, you know, I still love it. I just feel that um, my life is kind of going in a different direction with um, bringing people together and sharing stories and um, 
connecting one another. Um, I think you can still do that through fashion design, but I just had a different calling, I guess, a different, yeah, I just. So when did, when did you know that that wasn't your calling anymore? I mean, I still love to be creative in that way. It's just, it was something that I wasn't spending enough time on. And it wasn't something I was prioritizing. And then that kind of, you know, that kind of told me that maybe it's not what I should be doing. So. Is there a lot of work around? I mean, if you're not in New York or L.A., is there, I mean, I know nothing about the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. So where would you find a job around here? Well, skill. see, when I, I moved back to Minnesota from Colorado, the whole plan was I'm going to save up money and then I'm just going to live in New York. Like that was the dream. That was the plan. Um, and I actually got a little bit more settled in Mankato than I thought I would be. <laughs> and I, I really enjoy it here. So, um, you know, one year turned into like four years being living that here. A lot. <laughs> and so same thing happened to me. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, I have to kind of evolve and um, you know, where where am I going now? And that wasn't really the path that I was deciding to be on. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in um, Mason City, Iowa. So it's about two hours north. I mean south, sorry. Right, right. We we know where Iowa is, unfortunately. Um, I'm just kidding. Iowa's great. Um, and then you went to, uh, what's the name of the school again? The I, school I went of... to the Art Institute of Colorado. Okay. And then you came to Mankato. Yep. Why? My parents live here now. So, um, okay. you know, I had family here. And uh, whenever I would come visit, I would always see that this town was really something special. I don't know. I can't explain it. Um, I saw that there was a a blossoming like art scene. I loved the public art that I saw here. And um, I liked the size of it, really, and the proximity to the city. (laughs) Seriously, there are so many people in this town who come here thinking it's going to be a stop on the road to something bigger and better, and they never leave. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this vortex that sucks you in. <laughs> I think, it, I think it, there's a lot. There's a lot to that, though. There's uh, the big cities not that far away. Mm-hmm. There is a vibrant arts scene here. Um, th- three or four colleges right in town. I mean, I think that that can do a lot to make a town go from dull, like you might say about Rochester, mm-hmm. to not being dull, like it is in Mankato. I mean, I think it, you can say a lot about Mankato, but I don't think you can say that it's a dull town. Exactly, and. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Old Town area. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it's beautiful by the river and it's the old architecture and a lot of the businesses that have been um, developing in that area as well. So that's my favorite part of the town. <laughs> okay, we're going to shift gears now Okay, um, to that heavy stuff. Um, I, I, I reread the article that we ran about you in the Mankato Magazine mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, you you talk about the day that you decided to be to uh, become sober. Mm-hmm. So if you and I also remember reading in the article that when you agreed to talk to Diana, you went into a kind of a panic <laughs> because you 
<laughs> we're going to be, you know, revealing a lot of stuff to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, did it, did that end up going okay? I mean, are you? It must have been okay because you're still here I'm and still, still talking here. about it. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to take you back to um, the night of that concert mm-hmm. and kind of walk me through, walk us through what happened that night and um, kind of the the path you took to it. It, it, it sounds like you hit rock bottom that night, or maybe yeah, I would say so. A form of that. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I'll shut up and you just tell me what what happened sure. that night. So I'm actually going to go just, you know, maybe a month further back than sure. that just to kind of, you know, set the set the mood here. But um, I actually, you know, it was summertime. So this was the summer of 2016. Um, like the majority of people my age, I, I loved to be out and about. Um, I loved drinking with friends, going out dancing, all of that. Um, and I, w- I remember one time specifically um, where it was like bar close. Um, all of my friends had gone their various different ways. Like we were all separated from one another. Um, and I was outside waiting for a taxi or waiting to get picked up or I can't remember. But I remember just standing there and like having this immense emotion. Like I felt so lonely. And, you know, here I am outside surrounded by, you know, all kinds of people. But I'm, I felt so alone and I felt that my life was just not what I wanted it to be. And um, that just was a very significant memory of mine, you know, kind of in retrospect, looking back at, you know, um, the various different things that led up to my rock bottom moment. Um, but the night that, um, everything kind of all went down, I guess, was, um, the, let's see, was it August 2nd, 2016? It was the KISS concert that had, um, been going on in the Verizon Wireless Center. I had attended, um, the concert with a friend. Um, and of course, you know, like most concert goers, we went out to eat before. We had drinks. Um, we drank at the concert. Uh, we even drank after the concert. And by this time, you know, most of us were feeling pretty great. But I think we were just like, let's keep going. You know, we, it, it was a Monday night. But we were like, let's go. This is this is fun. We're having a great time. Um, and, you know, Towards the end of the night, I just kind of remember not remembering (laughs) what was going on. Um, I even called for a ride home, and um, I think it was a guy I was dating at the time or something, and um, he didn't understand what I was saying, so he was just like, okay, (laughs) Um, that went nowhere. Um, Did you talk to him later on about that phone call? Yeah. I didn't remember calling him but he was like he was very he was very worried in his his defense but he was like I didn't understand what you were saying and um I think we just kind of hung up he just assumed it was like just a drunk nonsense it wasn't like a I need a ride home kind of thing like Mm -hmm. a cry for help or anything but um so I, I don't remember getting to my car at all um but I did 
because I had driven downtown. Um, I got to my car and, you know, I, I just live in uh, upper north Mankato, not extremely far away or anything. Um, this is this wasn't my logic then. I was completely blacked out. I had no logic. But um, I apparently decided to drive home and I ended up hitting uh, a lamppost and totaling my car and just, you know. So where was this? This was kind of um, by the North Mankato Library um, at the bottom of Lee Boulevard. Mm -hmm. So... Right by the police station. <laughs> right by the police station. Yep. Not funny, but it's just kind of ironic. no. I mean, <laughs> they didn't have to go very far. <laughs> right. I mean, at least you did that favor for them. Um, all right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and you know, it was then I kind of started to sober up. So I do remember just kind of my encounter with the police officers and everything, and um, you know, it, it was all very surreal. And of course, the next day you kind of wake up and you're like, "Did that really happen? Was this? Was I dreaming that this happened?" And yes, it did really happen. So it all starts to kind of really sink in, you know, all the repercussions. Um, so were you arrested? Yes, I was arrested. Okay, mm -hmm. taken to St. Peter then. I was arrested, and I believe, you know, I don't. I, I think it was the station there. They didn't. Okay. Um, overnight me or anything. Okay. They let me go. Well, somebody came to get you. Yes. Okay. Who yeah. came to get you? Um, my parents did. So that was um, very, How was that? very interesting. <laughs> you know, that's, you never want that to be in that situation where your parents have to come bail you out of jail or anything. <laughs> How did, what, what was their, what was their reaction to to you in this situation? You know, there was a lot of silence at that in that moment anyway. There wasn't necessarily reactions until they knew that I could take a reaction, I think. So like the next day, it was a lot of we're very upset. Um, but, you know, my parents are amazing. Like they've always kind of supported me. Um, they've been there for me. But they're still parents. <laughs> they they let me know when I've done something stupid. That's their job. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I think it was actually the next day we went to go um, get stuff out of my car at the um, wherever it had been. I think I can't remember. Um, but we went to get my belongings because my car was completely totaled. There was no way that I was ever going to drive my Malibu again. Um, so I went and grabbed my cell phone and stuff. And that was another very sobering moment. It was like, okay, like you really messed up. Um, and I just thought, you know, like I could have killed myself. I could have killed a child. I could have killed somebody else. Like, those thoughts were going through my mind, and, you know, I, I was extremely remorseful. It wasn't like, um, I took it very seriously, and I think that's why I've continued to be sober, is because I let it sink in, and um, I really understood, like, the gravity of what I had done. Um, 
And, you know, now I can look back at it like over three years later and I'm extremely thankful for this situation um, because it's changed my entire life path. I'm a completely different person than I was. And um, although it was very difficult to go through, you know, you're paying a lot of money um, for a lawyer and for the fees and you're doing outpatient treatment and um, there, there are so many different things. I was on probation for two years. Um, there are so many things that go into it, but I, I, I let myself really feel everything and understand the importance of why we don't drink and drive, you know? You ran probation for two years. Is that? Yeah. So was, it, was, was there some shame involved in that? I mean, in this whole situation, having to go, I mean, were you an alcoholic or, or, or I guess we haven't even talked about what led up to this point. If you choose to be, to become sober, Mm-hmm. Um, usually, there's a there's a period during which you've been mm-hmm. out of control drinking. Is that who you mm-hmm. were? I think that. Um, so I was also. I think this is really important to say because this was also part of it. But I was diagnosed with being bipolar um, just three years prior to that, and um, you know, bipolar is a, a, a mood disorder. Um, that you go between two extremes, um, mania and depression. Um, And a lot of how I dealt with that was through self-medicating, which would have been like drinking, um, drug use, things like that. So, um, and I think that's pretty common. A lot of people are trying to numb these thoughts and these feelings that they're feeling through various substances. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's just crazy to me because now I live like a life of no substances. I have my mental health, um, under control and, um, I feel good. Like, and I, I welcome these weird feelings, these sometimes, you know, negative feelings that I get. Um, I can deal with them differently. Like I'm able to cope, but initially I would say, um, with the shame involved in having to go to court or be on probation um, or outpatient treatment. Um, one thing that really helped me was just being honest with the people that were around me. Like, you know, I think that when you're honest about something that you've done and you have a willingness to change and do better, people can see that within you. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, you did something pretty crappy, you know, pretty horrible, but we can tell that you're moving in a different direction. And I authentically and genuinely felt that. And I I think that people around me did. So it kind of helps with any shame that I was experiencing. At the same time, people were being supportive. Was was there any, I mean, there is a stigma to people who are who have gotten sober or who have a mental illness or um, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that you've, when you're on probation, when you've crashed your car, things, you know, people have feelings about that and they think certain ways about that. Did you have anybody, was was there any negative attention that came your mm-hmm. way because of this? You know, I think um, 
there was definitely negative attention. And to be honest, I experienced it the most from almost complete strangers. Um, Like little comments, um, like when I would go to the DMV and um, I think get my license, when I got my license back, there were a few comments there from the person helping me, like, um, now don't go making the same mistake again, or just comments like that, that, you know, I honestly think are just unnecessary. Um, and there were other situations as well where that had happened, and just unsolicited advice. And I get it, I'll take it, you know, I can take it. Um, but as far as, like, people, friends and family in um, and acquaintances, I didn't really get too much um, negative feedback. Um, actually, maybe, I mean, you know, to be honest, I, can't, I don't know. Maybe I did. I'm just not thinking hard enough. Um, because I feel like when you do make a mistake, it takes a while for people to forgive you and um, pluck you from that um, mistake. You know, they want to keep you boxed in and they want to keep you as the alcoholic or the, you know, lawbreaker, whatever it is that you are. Um, So it does take a while for people to trust you again, of course. Um, You know, and I just I have a really good way of uh, kind of blocking those things out that um, because I knew where I wanted to be. And I had this laser focus. I knew that I wanted to be sober. I knew that I wanted to do better. And I knew that that was never going to happen again. So I think any other comments or unsolicited advice was just kind of, (laughs) I just let it fall back. Hmm. Um, You did mention... um well, wait, well, before we get to this part, um, let me ask you about your recovery journey, um, just so I understand. I mean, what, what, did you do like a 12-step thing, or did you um, find your own way to, mm-hmm. to, to quit? Was it hard to quit? So it wasn't actually as hard to quit as I thought it would be. I, w- I haven't – it was pretty easy you know I was open to trying whatever I could try to be sober so I did try some 12-step programs um, you know those didn't necessarily stick for me um, but I did do a lot of work myself um, my probation officer was amazing she was a huge support for me and I'm very grateful for her um, That's something you don't hear every day. My probation officer was amazing. She's just the coolest person ever. That's that's great. Good. I'm I'm happy you had a good one. Yeah. I'm I'm sure they're all great. mm -hmm. I just don't think you hear very often anybody say, my probation officer was amazing. I never thought that I would say that, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, And, you know, I was working with a therapist who specialized in um, recovery. And I just kind of... The way I explain it is I intuitively, like, like wherever I felt I needed improvement, I would research how I can improve in certain sections um, in my life. Like, um, for example, um, 
like a codependent relationship is um, once I kind of got sober for a while, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm good. Um, I, I've cured my addictions. But in reality, I was, I had transferred my addictions over to my relationships with people. So they had become codependent relationships. So I really was worried for a long time about how um, people thought of me or I was a, a big people pleaser. And um, I don't know, those are just things that I kind of have discovered within myself that have needed improvement. And so I intuitively was like, that's where I'm going to improve in myself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of anything having to do with self-improvement or self-help anyway. So I've always discovered the tools that I needed. Um, and I think, yeah, the number one thing, like I said, was just always being very open-minded about it, trying anything and everything. Um, I feel like meditation is really helpful too. Um, positive affirmations, um, gratitude, showing gratitude every day, creating like a gratitude list. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, sharing my story has been really, really, really critical in my recovery process as well because it keeps me accountable. It, it, it's like I can't be this like, you know, so self-proclaimed sober person or mental health advocate without actually being that. Um, I feel that that's important to be genuine with that. So, so when you were open about your sobriety um, in that magazine article, did, did that end up um, being a positive thing for you? Did people come to you and say, hey, that was... It, same here. I'm going through the same situation. What you said helped me. Have you had any of that kind of uh, feedback? I have actually um, from acquaintances within kind of like my network of friends and also complete strangers reached out to me and they said that either they or somebody they loved were dealing with the same things. And um, I even if just one person were to say that they benefited from that article, that's extremely rewarding to me. Um, but I know a girl, a woman that actually came up to me and was like, I see what you're doing. Um, I see the life that you're living and the things that you're creating in your life and how positive of an influence you are. And I see that. And I, I want to replicate that within my own life. So you were an inspiration for me to get sober. And this particular person has been sober for like a year now. Wow. And just her kind of, you know, including me in the littlest way was really, really neat. Like I feel extremely honored. That's cool. Um, so you had mentioned earlier and you, you also write in your, in your blog that you should probably update pretty soon. By the <laughs> yeah. way. Um, it's really good stuff. Uh, that you're dealing with or you're d uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, can you tell us a, a little bit about how you came to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder and what that journey's been like? Mm -hmm. So um, I was initially diagnosed, when I was initially diagnosed, I didn't believe it at all, of course. 
Um, I was just in denial. Um, was that because of what you thought you knew about mental illness? Yeah, you know, they kind of... Or was it that you just felt fine, you didn't think there was anything wrong with you? I knew there was probably something going on in my head that's different, but I didn't think I resonated with a certain particular illness. Um, and so I was in complete denial. I was like, because, you know, the sometimes a psychiatrist asks you, he has like a list of, a list of characteristics, and he's like, you know, did you feel, did you spend insane amounts of money this, this week or whatever? And I'm like, no. And he's like, do you think that, do you have this grandiose picture of yourself? And I'm like, no. And, you know, those are kind of some characteristics of bipolar, but I never related to them up until I had a full-blown manic episode, which was, so I was diagnosed um, I think initially, I guess, in 2014, and I had a manic episode in 2015. So I went almost a whole year just not really believing this diagnosis, but kind of um, going along with it, I guess, um, to kind of appease my family and this doctor. Um, but w when I did have this manic episode, where I was later hospitalized, I did experience some of the things that he was saying. And I was like, oh, now I understand. Um, so that was, that kind of validated it for me. So tell me about that episode. What so, happened to you? Where were you? What, what was happening? So it, it kind of started because, uh, you know, when you do have a mental, well, I mean, all of us know that sleep is extremely important to our well-being. Um, and when you're diagnosed with bipolar, it's especially important to make sure that you're getting an adequate amount of sleep. Um, I had not slept for three days prior to this manic episode. Um, and I was just like on fire. I had all of these ideas flowing through me. I, I wanted to start like a movement. I had like a grandiose sense of self, like worth, like I could, you know, take over the world. I didn't have those plans, but you know, like that's a comparison. Um, and you're just go, go, go. Like people can't keep up with what you're saying. Um, you can barely keep up with what you're saying because these ideas and these words are just flowing through you so quickly. Um, and so you know, people kind of could sense that there was something going on. Um, and then my mother had actually, um, my grandmother was diagnosed with bipolar. So my mother had known the symptoms and she recognized them within me at that time. Um, and she was like, we're taking you to the hospital. Like, this is a crisis. This is serious. Like, you you can't be running around like this. So that's kind of how it all happened. Um, but Do you remember th th that episode? And was there, just, was there just the one? Or did you have several manic episodes? Yeah, it was just the one episode for me. Um, my, my doctor calls me a bipolar success story because I've only had one and typically you know, you can, you have more than one. So when you were in it, did you, did it, did it occur to you that something weird is going on? 
with your with your mind? Well, not weird. Not, that's that's not, not what I meant. It's like unusual. Yeah, not necessarily because your you mind. You just thought you're just chugging along here. You're just cranking yeah. out ideas. This is a good day. Yeah, your mind believes what's happening. Okay. Like it's, and I remember every single part of it. I didn't. It wasn't a thing where I blacked out. And I know some people do um, black out and not remember, but I remember every part of the situation. So. Um, yeah, I was I was pretty convinced and I was like I have some really great ideas that I need to let everybody know about. <laughs> and so Do you were you were you cognizant of people around you recognizing that hey, what the hell with Melissa? <laughs> I I mean, I think so. I was luckily throughout that time I was with some really good friends that were um you know, kind of taking care of me. Um but I think when I did, like, mention things to um, – I remember we were at the pool one day, um, and I was so convinced that this idea and the, these things that we were kind of working on were going to be, like, such a big success that we were going to go on the Ellen show. And I'm a huge <laughs> Ellen fan. <laughs> I love Ellen. And so I was like, I remember telling some lady that we're going to be going on the Ellen show. You should join our, you know, this movement, our group or whatever. I don't know. And I just, you know, at first she's like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, really piqued her interest. And then kind of the more I got to talking, the more that she kind of could see what state of mind I was in the more her expression changed from, oh, cool, to okay, and, like, I got to go. <laughs> like, I got to, you know, you can read that on people's faces. and So do you re- re- remember the moment, or, or was there an instance, an instant when you realized what was happening? You know, no, not really. So when, when did someone tell you, okay, what just happened the last few days that was a manic episode? I didn't realize that it was a manic episode, to be honest, until after I was out of the hospital. And after I reflected on the series of events and kind of let it, like, unpacked all of the things that had happened. Because, you know, then it only gets crazier once I get in the hospital. (laughs) And, you know, you're surrounded by people who are also on the same wavelength as you and really believe in what they're doing and we're just boy the energy in that room we're just creating (laughs) we're just making moves (laughs) changing the world (laughs) so it's really interesting actually um so when you when you when you look back on that time do you is it a negative um memory for you or do you look back and think okay that happened to me but then i was able to figure out my situation and move forward you know, it was negative right away at first. Like, why are you doing this to me? Like, it was kind of, it was a lot of um, contempt towards my mother. Like, don't you understand this mission that I'm trying to carry out in the world? Like, you're blocking me from it, this mission. And just getting really upset about that. But, um, you know, then slowly I was just like you know she just cares about me and I care about her so I'm not gonna let that get in the way 
Um, but, you know, eventually, I just see it all as a good experience. Like, it just helps me understand who I am and um, there, are who I am and what I'm meant to do really on this planet, not in a grandiose way, but like a very humbling way, like sharing my story and connecting with people who are also in need and who are unable to share their stories. It kind of has connected me with um, more of a purpose in life that's a little bit deeper than um, anything that I had done before. Um, and, you know, it was like my illness had pronounced itself. Like I knew that that's, you know, I knew that I was bipolar and I knew that um, the only thing I can do moving forward is um, become the healthiest that I can possibly be in that sense. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting experience. And I, I did meet some very interesting people that some of them I'm still friends with today. So, I mean, the people who were doing, who were in the hospital. In the hospital, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was varying degrees mm-hmm. of, um, there were some very sad things that were happening. And, you know, it's, yeah. It, was, it, that, was that in Mankato here? It was actually in um, Fargo. They didn't have any Fargo. room or availability here in Mankato, so I had to go to Fargo. Um, How long yeah, were you there? For a week. Yeah. So it was interesting. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like, a lot of the people there were at it, at their rock bottom, you know, at the worst point in their life and really needing some compassion and, and love and... Um, I feel like those places are not necessarily places that allow for that. You know, you're cooped up in a a little box of stale air (laughs) and B.O. And it's just not inspiring or healthy. Um, They did let us go outside one time. (laughs) And, you know, that was that was really helpful to just connect with nature Mm -hmm. and um but i just you know i don't know how people can get well in scenarios like that it's sad but you did i did i was only there for a week so (laughs) i was able to kind of um leave and then just move forward with what i needed to do so and I feel that it's um, it's really always just like it's an ongoing thing. It's an evolution, um, you know, getting better for anyone, not even just people with like a mental illness. We all have mental health that we need to kind of prioritize and um, invest in. And even like just talking about it, I think, is really important, too for people to understand that they can do. Um, You know, and that really just goes back to why I feel that I want to create space for people to do that, to share their stories and to 
um, feel comfortable investing in their their health, you know. Well, that's a good place to transition. So you've you've gone through the sobriety thing. You've mm-hmm. got your mental health under control. Do you do you feel like you're in a position now to help people? I mean, you you've been through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think that puts you in a in a good position to um, guide other people who might be struggling? Is that what is that is that what you're hoping to do? Yeah. Um, you know, throughout this year, actually, I've been kind of doing a little bit of public speaking, mm-hmm. like almost I have I've had like one gig a month almost, which is pretty neat um, to be able to just share my story. Just to be me um, has helped people um, in various like treatment centers um, throughout like the area. So I do feel that, you know, I am in a good place where I have. Um, the ability and the resources to uh, help others and give back. Um, And that's kind of, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be of service to others and help. So, Are you thinking that in terms of, um, like, career? Or is the Huxley and Murr thing going to be your your career? I mean, we all have to make money. Yeah. That's going to be what you – or can you do both? I don't know. So with Huxley and Murr, at this point, phase one, there may, you know, there's always, I feel even businesses evolve as well. So right now, um, it will be the event planning services that I can provide for people, but also creating the different events. Um, You know, in a couple weeks, I will be going on a retreat. Um, It'll be my second retreat of the year. And I do want to um, start there, possibly, with creating retreats. Oh, okay. And so that will be something that I will offer in probably 2020, in the future. You're going to go somewhere, uh, you're going to do some yoga, you're going (laughs) to meditate for a while, right? Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be in Crestone, Colorado. Oh. So... It'll be the perfect time, you know, with the leaves changing and mountains. It'll be really nice. Um, Can you just go somewhere with mountains and flowing? I, I saw something on Facebook. You were just tra- traveling somewhere beautiful. Yeah, that was – I did go to Crestone this summer. Okay. So um, for another retreat. And it's funny because I tell people I'm going on a retreat and they um, they think vacation. Um, it's not – at all of a, I mean, it's in a beautiful setting, don't get me wrong, but retreats, I feel um, you want to, of course, be inspired by your surroundings, but you also want to be able to look inward and dig deeper in yourself and unpack all of those things too. So it can be kind of messy, <laughs> you know, um, but the last one I did, I felt was very transformative. I came out feeling like you know there's a lot of aha moments and I felt like a different person so I'm just all about um achieving that again or so this is a guided retreat by somebody who knows what they're doing as far as yeah okay you're not just going out there to hang out no okay so yeah there are people out there that know what they're doing and they can create space for you and support that transition okay um I think it's important to have that support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. 
Well, is there anything else you want to talk about, Melissa, before I let you get back to your life? Anything think, else coming up or you know, I shout think outs? Mom, shout outs, mom and dad. Shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. I think we're good. Okay. Well, thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming in today and for, and for sharing your story and for being so candid. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's really helpful when people do that. So mm-hmm. thank of you. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You are very welcome. By the way, we want to thank Goodnight Goldust for the Freepcast theme music. The song is called Headlights. <laughs>